You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Two, everybody can swim in the shallow end, but November, kids, that's the deep end. And the sad fact is, not all of you are going to make it out here in the deep end. We started to learn that in earnest last night. We are jam-packed high atop a completely and utterly frozen downtown Nashville, Tennessee. Full week 11 recap. I got thoughts all over the place. We've got a fair amount of intel that's going to be woven through the fabric of tonight's show. We've got coaching search updates. Got a lot of stuff to talk about. Very important show. Don't miss this one. This is not one that you want to flip through. You're just going to want to listen to the whole thing. Sorry, it has to be that way this time of year. What is happening in Texas? Just put a period there. You can go to College Station. You can go to Austin. We're not going to go to Fort Worth. We have answers there, but I got questions elsewhere. You have zero shot nor do I, at predicting these conference races. As it turns out, told you November was going to be wild. And it is, and it's not done yet. The Every Given Saturday Tour, we have a big announcement coming up about 35 or 40 minutes from now. I am fresh out of New Orleans, flew back this morning, loved our trip down there. We'll be back. We'll indeed be back. Eight, I don't know, like a metric ton of food. So it was a good trip there. Paradise, Texas tuned in. Dixon, North Dakota tuned in. McCarley, Mississippi, Las Vegas, Nevada. They're watching us everywhere. I cease to be amazed when we go through airports on the road at the compliments we get, and I appreciate that. That never gets old. We are close to 150K, and Director Colin and I, we were just in the control room talking about when we were out at Elite 11. Remember back in the summer, feels like yesterday, and we hit 100,000 subs, and that was a big, momentous occasion, and we weren't thinking about 150 at the time, but we're here now. And it hasn't been too long, and we're here now. I want us to forget about Thanksgiving. I want us to forget about Christmas. I want to get this done by this weekend, by the time we have the next Sunday show. So whatever you need to do, however you need to go about it, if you haven't subscribed already, don't wait anymore. It's free. It doesn't cost you anything. It just helps us. And if you got 10 friends, and judging by our audience, you social butterflies out there, most of you do, either have them sub, or if you have to, just steal their phone. You probably know their passcode anyway. And if they're asleep, just use the facial recognition. All of this is ethical because the ends justify the means. And that is getting us to at least 150,000 subs on this YouTube channel. If you're on podcast, follow, follow, follow. Sub, sub, sub. That's it. That's all. Let's dive into the show tonight. TCU is rolling. And in the process, they have run over Texas. 17 to 10 was the final. A lot of rules on other shows. You know, you listen to any given podcast out there, you watch any given show out there, a lot of rules. Not a lot of rules around here. No kicks to the groin, be home for dinner, don't lose to food, and Rice didn't play in this game. And we talk winners first. That's the other rule. So Texas is going to have to wait a second because TCU's kind of, sort of, absolutely running things out there right now. They have clinched a spot, have the Horn Frogs, in the Big 12 championship game. Sonny Dykes is in serious contention for all kinds of awards, including head coach of the year. He's ruining the future, by the way, for a lot of head coaches. What I mean by that's pretty obvious. 
normally you want to sell your athletic director and your administration and your fan base that when I'm a new coach, I need you guys to give me two years minimum. Did I just get shorter, Colin? What happened? Did the chair get shorter? Anyway, I, wa I want you to give me two years minimum, maybe three years, and then what's going to happen, you know as well as I do, what's going to happen is the Sonny Dykes protocol is going to be put right in your face. The Sonny Dykes button is going to be pressed in every athletic department, and that's going to sound a little something like this. Well, he took TCU undefeated, maybe, to the conference championship game in year one. Well, he had TCU right there in the mix for the playoff around Thanksgiving in year one. Remind me again why with better resources and deeper pockets, we need more time and you need more time than him. Ruined it. Shame on Sonny Dykes. He's ruined this, but big credit to Sonny Dykes because he's getting things done there and it's, it's fun to watch because it's a team that wasn't supposed to be there. And it, yet again, just completely takes a bowling ball. It takes a sledgehammer to that tired, old, worn out narrative that this was a sport for the few and the many were gonna be left out there and the structure was built against you and none of that's true. If you do things the right way, if you make the right hires, you don't even have to have the most talented rosters. They had the second most talented roster on the field last night and they still got the job done. Texas was held to 199 yards last night. That is their lowest output since 2015. And that shocked me a little bit. If you were to have walked up to any of us, me, you, any one of us who watch this sport regularly, and you've seen Texas and you've seen TCU play, and you were to have asked us Friday, TCU's going to win. How many points do you think they need to win? I would have thought 31 was a good starting point. Because the talk around football circles about TCU all year long has been, oh, they won't go undefeated. And then when you press someone as to why, they'll say, oh, that defense is going to cost them. No, that defense actually won them a game last night. Not only did it not cost them, it actually was the beneficiary. It actually caused them to win a game where offense was not exactly humming along. Neither of them were. 31 points is what I thought they needed. In reality, 11 was all they would have needed. The model, let's just talk to the model right quick. A lot of you have been rubbed the wrong way about where Texas has been power rated in the JP poll. And I, well, it's not really technically wrong because Texas was favored last night. Now, as it turns out, it didn't matter. See, if we're trying to validate power ratings, it kind of ends at the beginning of that game. Then we want to calibrate and adjust. But as you know, I have had a very, very ugly, public, long-standing beef with the model when it comes to Texas. I, like you, have thought that the model had Texas overrated. And so this fool right here, and I'm holding up the model, the computer, for those of you listening on podcast, you, again, not only favored Texas by a touchdown, you favored them by 10 and a half. Remember, the model looked at Vegas and said, seven, not even enough. Let's take them first half. Let's take them for the whole game. You are an idiot. I'm done with the model when it comes to Texas. Now, the model made us a lot of money yesterday. We went nine, four, and one, and shame on Michigan. Jim Harbaugh, shame on you kicking that field goal late. But we still profited. But when it comes to Texas, you are not to be trusted. This model is not to be trusted. We'd just call it a virus, I guess. Not to be trusted. Nothing can ever get rolling with this team. TCU's rolling. They're consistent. They win every week. Texas, you start to feel good. You know, they go to Kansas State, and they beat a team that just hung half a hundred on Oklahoma State. And what do they do? They come home. They're favored, game days in town. 
one of 13 on third down. Padlock stat, one of 13 on third down. That is the worst percentage conversion rate on third down since 1996. The Olympics were in Atlanta that year. Young JP saw the flame come through Catala, Georgia that year. The Braves should have won the World Series that year. The point is, anything I am talking about has to be watched on VHS because DVDs weren't even around yet. And that's how bad they were on third down last night. They had 28 yards rushing. Not on the first drive, not in the first quarter. This team, with Bijan Robinson on it, Roshan Johnson on it, had 28 total rushing yards against the TCU Horned Frogs. Uh, no offensive touchdowns in the second half for Texas the last three games, so I could go on and on and on. You know how highly I think of Steve Sarkeesian. They are not performing very admirably. They certainly didn't last night. Now, here is where I differ with some. I had some of my Texas buddies texting me saying, we're screwed. Said, well, yeah, you are tonight, but what are you talking about specifically? They said, Arch was in town for this game. And I said, okay, and? He's committed to you. Why wouldn't he be there? Well, yeah, he ain't going to commit. He ain't going to be committed for long, bro. And that's what they said to me. I said back to them, what? if anything, this reinforces that he's got an immediate shot to take over the day he steps on campus. Who is Arch Manning watching right now saying, I'm going to have to sit behind that cat for two years? Nobody. In fact, if you want a nice heated argument, walk into a room full of Texas fans and ask them, hey, at this point, Quinn or Hudson Card, who's the better quarterback? Then what you need to do is you need to walk out. They won't even realize you left the room. They will just slap fight amongst themselves for an hour. So that's the state of Texas right now. I cannot say enough about TCU's level of play. Just the overall level of play from the program in general. The Big 12 conference has been kind of a competitive shooting gallery all year long. You've got one perfect team record-wise left out there. But Texas goes to Kansas State, like I talked about, and they beat them. Uh, TCU goes to Texas yesterday. TCU beats them. Kansas State goes to Baylor and just wipes Baylor. And what is the net result of all this? To show you how even this is, to show you how unpredictable this is in the eyes of odds makers week to week. After all that, you take your transitive property, you throw it out the window. TCU goes to Baylor. That TCU team that you see rolling, they go to the same Baylor team that just lost 31-3 yesterday, four-loss Baylor, and TCU is a three-point favorite. Where have you seen that most recently? I'll tell you exactly where. LSU at Arkansas. How'd that game play out yesterday? So, any given week now, any given Saturday, or every given Saturday as it turns out, you could have blowouts out there. It just should be emphasized that you hit the reset button every Sunday morning and anything could occur the following week. But congratulations, although there's still work to be done, congratulations to Sonny Dykes and TCU. And now, although there are still games left, I don't know what the talk is going to sound like around Austin. I can guess what the talk is going to sound like around Austin this week. I, I think there are positives that can be taken away. I like to do this at the end of a season, so I'm not going to go down this road wholesale right now. But Texas goes to Kansas this week. They've got Baylor after that. Easily winnable, easily losable. They're classic Big 12 2022 games. Right now, Texas is 6-4. and four. They missed out on a bowl game last year. So, I mean, even if they split the difference here and they go 7-5, and five, it's technically an improvement over last year. 
They could go 8-4, and four, and it's a solid improvement over last year. Now the problem is, you just remember that they were the preseason favorite to go to the Big 12 championship game, and as it turns out, that was pretty unrealistic. Or maybe it wasn't, depending on your point of view. Point is, you can fall short of your stated goals and still see improvement. We're about to find out where ultimately Texas is there. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. I've got big news for, well, a lot of you. Judging by our heat maps and where our audience lives, if you're in Tampa, anywhere near Tampa, if you're up in the Huntington, West Virginia region, uh, Barbersville, to be exact. I talked to the folks at Academy Sports and Outdoors. We decided to open two brand new academies. I was at one of the New Orleans locations yesterday morning because it turned out I came ill-prepared. I needed a jacket because it was like a freezer down in New Orleans. So I stopped by and visited our friends, as I often do, down in Academy. But Tampa, Florida, you got one coming this weekend. Grand opening. Chalife Supremacy will be on the line. Also, Barbersville, West Virginia. Love the people up there. Beautiful people. Great people in Barbersville. And what is their reward? They get a new Academy Sports and Outdoors. Why am I emphasizing this so much? I'm going to pretend that someone out there is watching the show or listening to the show for the first time. Here's what you need to know. This is one of the greatest places on the face of the earth. I could have just as easily bought a baseball bat as I did buy a jacket. I could have bought big league chew and sunflower seeds. I could have bought archery equipment. I could have bought a tent, a grill, anything and everything that someone like me and people like us need for life is found at Academy Sports and Outdoors. And they are the exclusive partner of this show. You're listening to it or watching it for free right now because of them. There is no paywall. You don't have to pay for a subscription. We don't have to crowdsource it. There, are different, there aren't different tiers on some Patreon channel that you have to pay for. It's a blessing that we don't have to do that because Academy takes care of that for us. So in return, we just humbly ask for those needs in your life that you're going to have to fulfill anyway, check out Academy. If you don't have one in your backyard, at this rate, you soon will. But in the meantime, academy.com. Check them out. You don't even have to tell them Josh sent you. Just check them out. And we thank you in advance. I bet you did not check out the game I'm about to talk about. So let me take a little sip out of what is now called the Chalice of Supremacy. And the Chalice of Choice Liquids is the mantra that's been given to whatever this is I sip. It does the job, though. Especially when you haven't slept. It does the job. And it is not cough syrup. Auburn beat AM yesterday 13 to 10. Someone out there already just said, who cares? I'm gonna tell you why you should care. 
a lot of you should care. What a wild scene in Auburn last night. If you're not an Auburn fan or an A&M fan, you may very well have just missed this game totally. It may have been completely off your radar. And even if you're a more diehard college football fan, but you didn't see this game, the totality of your impression of this is probably you seeing some clips of Cadillac Williams with our buddy Cole Kublik in the post-game interview. That's probably all you saw of this game. Well, don't worry, we watched it for you. To give you a little backstory, Auburn was dead in the water as a program this year, totally lifeless. And Harson is fired, and a lot of the staff is gone. It's the usual case when you have a staff upheaval, and it doesn't look like the program's going anywhere, and then you got a coaching search, and they named Cadillac Williams, former All-American running back there, first-round draft pick. They named him the interim head coach. And it didn't get a lot of national news. He's the first black head coach at Auburn, and that got national news. But outside of that, no one looked at it and thought anything football-wise other than, okay, he's just a stopgap, and we'll see where Auburn goes from there. And that is about where the national attention ended. It's not where it ended for the locals. It's where it began. So they end up going on the road, and uh, last week... You know, they, they have played competitively for a while. In fact, Colin, can you show me Auburn's schedule right quick? Because I want to kind of tee this up before I get into this game. They've played against Georgia already. They got blown out. They went to Ole Miss. They played. So then you're looking down the list a little bit. You know when Harson got fired there. They go to Mississippi State last week. And they were very competitive. They lost 39-33. Okay, so that's what big deal, right? They showed more fight that day than they have pretty much all year, and it galvanized the fan base. And this is one of the beautiful parts of college football. And if I don't, if I don't watch myself here, if I'm not careful, I will talk about this for 30 minutes. So I promise I'm not going to because we got like a dozen more games to get to. You need to know about Auburn, though, right now. The fan base, fully engaged. Uh, there were tons of emotion last night. It was an electric atmosphere. And they go into last night three and six. Head coach is already fired. And it is a scene that probably confused casuals to the ends of the earth. Because there's not a playoff spot on the line. They are not playing for the SEC championship. There's not postseason ramifications. So why are you people so worked up? Well, they're worked up because they care about the program. They're worked up because the passion that you see when college football is at its best is not necessarily because there are Postseason implications on the line. Sometimes there are, sometimes there aren't. But college football, what it's really about is a group of people looking at a brand, in this case, that Auburn brand, and it meaning something to them, regardless of what the record is. And the reason the folks at Auburn are so worked up is because the guy who is leading them in an interim capacity right now, you cut him open, that's what he believes. He is one of them. And it's not necessarily an endorsement to make him the head coach for the next 15 years. But it's just nice to watch a guy pull something out of a program that previously hadn't been seen and pull something out of a team and make them show heart, fight, resolve that no one had seen this year. And a lot of folks down there are very appreciative for it. And that's why if you turned on that game and you closed your eyes, if you stood on the field last night and you closed your eyes, you would have had no clue what the record was. In fact, you would have thought that a playoff spot was on the line. I... Go back and watch the game. Auburn wins the thing 13-10. to 10. Wasn't exactly pleasing to the eye. 
Uh, Jim Ross would call it bowling shoe ugly, as a matter of fact. But um, it was another spectacular scene post-game. I, w- I would suggest you go watch the post-game interviews and whatnot. But I had some people texting me afterwards saying, yeah, it's good for Cadillac Williams, but I mean, obviously this is not going to have a happy ending. I have no clue what that means. I think what they mean is they don't believe he's going to get the job. Well, I don't either. I'm not making the hire down there, of course. I don't either, but it already had a happy ending. If you hit the stop button right now, it already had a happy ending. He galvanized the program. I don't think people understand what's happened down there. Cadillac Williams has taken a program that wasn't even on life support. It was buried as far as this year is concerned. And you've gotten fight and you've gotten heart out of a team that has no business showing it and had long since been written off regionally and nationally. And he's not a stranger to the program. He's one of theirs. That means a lot. That means something to those folks. It would mean a lot to you if this was happening with your program. But if you hit the stop button right now, he's accomplished enough to warrant serious consideration for having a fixture position on that staff. And I'm not in the business of ever endorsing conditions being put on a new head coach. I don't even care who the new head coach is. You'd be a fool to look at what's happened there right now and look at what this has meant to that locker room and not understand that guy's got to have a place here. Whatever place he would fill, you won't find a better successor for that role if you do a national search because of what he means to Auburn. And that's where you're going to be the head coach. So speaking of that head coaching search, and I got some thoughts on A&M in a second. I talked to a lot of people about this thing over the weekend, a lot of really dialed in folks. Here's what I think about the Auburn coaching search right now. I think Lane Kiffin is very much in this. I think those reports are accurate. And I think that he is very much a contender and a candidate for this job. I have major doubts that Hugh Freeze is a candidate for this job. Would be surprised to shocked if Hugh Freeze landed the Auburn job for a number of reasons that are well-known within SEC circles, not all of which are known publicly. And um, I'm speaking more administratively. I don't mean some super secret scandal that no one knows about. I think Hugh Freeze's misdeeds are very, very publicized and well-known, and I'm not sitting here trying to hold it against the guy. I'm just saying there are consequences for actions, and some of those are not easily forgotten or forgiven administratively. Let me leave it at that. I think there are I think there are at least two really big names out there that would move the needle to 10 that no one's talking about. I think that John Cohen is moving behind the scenes really quickly. I don't think you're going to have to wait a long time, but I don't believe that everything is as it looks on the surface. Some of the very high-profile candidates that you've heard about, like Kiffin, I believe are in this thing. I think there are some names, at least two, that are in this that would be headline news that no one's talking about. So, in other words, watch out for those hot boards out there. Watch out for those lists, because as we've seen, oftentimes, in coaching searches, who in the world was predicting Brian Kelly to LSU? I mean, the most dialed-in LSU insiders, when they were giving you their list, whose list had Brian Kelly on it? I think this coaching search could go that way, is my point. So, could be Kiffin, in which case no one would be surprised, or it could be fill-in-the-blank, in which case everyone would be surprised, including the places that those respective individuals may be at right now. Jimbo in Texas A&M. What do we say here? What do we say? Never in my worst nightmares 
for this program this year, in my absolute worst of worst case scenarios, I never thought they'd miss a bowl game. They're going to miss a bowl game. To give you an idea of how bad this year has been, UConn, Jim Morris, UConn Huskies are going bowling and A&M will not. A&M has the worst record in the SEC. They are 3-7. and seven. Vandy is 4-6. and six. That's how bad things are at Texas A&M right now. Now, I told you about a month ago. In fact, what was it? Coming out of the, coming out of the Bama game, I think. Yeah, coming out of the Bama game, I told you, well, out of, the, out of the South Carolina game. Goodness, it's tough to look at that graphic. Loss, 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 loss. That's a lot of losses in a row. Anyway, coming out of the South Carolina game, which was a month ago now, I told you this season's dead for Texas A&M. So what I wasn't going to do was continue to do a new autopsy every week. When it's dead, it's dead. And I'm going to do one autopsy. And we assignated the blame that week. And I told you it is a certainty that he has to make a move at offensive coordinator. I have had conversations in the past week that make me really, really confident. He understands that and he is going to do that. And the checkbook will be wide open. So theoretically that he could go get anyone who's willing to come there. Having said that, there's some weird energy around the program right now. A&M fans who follow it day to day, they know nationally you probably picked up on it. Let me just give you an example. I am all about rules. I'm all about structure. That's fine. Moose Muhammad didn't play last night for them. Jimbo said it's an internal thing. Moose Muhammad said, no, it ain't internal. Here's why. I wore long sleeves and he didn't start me because it's his rule that I don't wear long sleeves. The problem is I can go find you film this year of Moose Muhammad wearing long sleeves in games. So it may be a recent rule. I don't know. The point is, that is one little example uh, of a little small mountain of examples now of just these, these weird things that you hear out of the A&M program to where it almost is like if you were to take both middle fingers and throw them up in the air in full DGAF mode, kids teach the parents the acronym there, it's not too dissimilar to how Jimbo acts right now. So I, I, do, I don't even acknowledge the firing talk. I don't acknowledge the hot seat talk. It's not where we are right now. Something outside of the realm of football would have to enter the equation for that to even be a conversation this year for me. And I'm not saying it has. I'm just saying it feels weird. It's one thing to just suck. That program sucks right now. That team does, at least. And it also feels weird around the program. So I don't really know what to make of it. But as far as football goes, I feel no different than I did a few weeks back. The, the season was dead on arrival then. It is still dead on arrival. It doesn't matter how much you try and resuscitate it. Dead is dead is dead. No new autopsy every week. But it's going to be a very, very interesting December and January around there. Won't have to worry about bowls, so you will be able to get to work immediately following the LSU game in a couple of weeks. All right, let's move on. Good pacing so far, I think. Good pacing. Let's take a sip here right quick. Mm-hmm. Director Colin reminds me in my ear that he, and all of us really, would like you to hit the thumbs up button because there are like 4,200 of you watching live and we're not even over 1,000 yet. And that's just... That's not a good ratio. We want to be better. We want to have a better hit percentage. So thumbs up and subscribe if you haven't already. The drive to 150K subs continues. Alabama beat Ole Miss yesterday, 30 to 24. And what did we know before kickoff of this game? We knew before kickoff, 
or at least I did because I was watching in the Tulane press box that LSU had won. And we'll talk about that game later. LSU had won over Arkansas, which meant Bama's out of it. As far as the SEC is concerned, Ole Miss, out of it. As far as the SEC is concerned, if they lose this game. So we have certainly dissimilar motivation levels here. Or did we? And this was, again, a game that I thought was really fun to watch. There was good execution at times. There was horrific execution at times. That's college football. That's what happens. That's the way it's supposed to look. Fortunately, both of these programs are full of competitors. And for competitors, it's nice if you're playing for the playoff. It's nice if you're playing for conference championships. Pride to a casual person doesn't mean a whole heck of a lot. You need ramifications on the line. Pride to a competitor is worth more than any of that stuff. And if that stuff comes along with it, that's great. Playing for pride means a lot to a competitor. And that's why if you were to watch this game yesterday and you covered up the records, just put a little piece of athletic tape over the screen so you can't see the records, the level of play, the effort level, especially in the second half, was requisite to what you would expect if there were postseason spots on the line. It's exactly what it should have looked like. Now, I'm not into just rewarding you for trying hard, but I'll point out something in just a second to maybe backtrack my own sentence there. Maybe I am rewarding you for trying hard. This is the fifth game, as it turns out, for Bama that's come down to either the last play or the last few plays, last 30 seconds or so. Think about that. Uh, Sometimes it feels like they go a decade. Uh, Decades a long time. Sometimes it feels like they go years under Nick Saban without that. But the Texas game, final play. A&M, final play. Tennessee, final play. LSU, final play. This one, I think the last 30 seconds or so, and there was a fourth down throw to the end zone, and then Bama took a couple of knees and they ran out the clock. But that's the way it's been for them this year, which makes it fun because when you look back, depending on which perspective you want to use, you're going to be able to say Bama was two or three plays away from being undefeated, and then someone else is going to be able to say, yeah, but they were also two or three more plays away from being seven and five. Both of those sentences are going to be true, and there's just not been much margin for error this year. Look at Nick Saban celebrating there. A lot of people laughed at that yesterday. Well, just compartmentalize that for 2023, but it sounds strange. But the Alabama run defense didn't have a bad day yesterday. Now, the reason it sounds strange is because I'm looking at a piece of paper here that tells me Ole Miss ran for nearly 200 yards, but when you consider they ran it 49 times for 191, that's 3.9 per carry. And if you told me Ole Miss was only putting up 3.9 per carry Friday, I would have felt good about Alabama because my concern, to be clear, was their mentality coming in here. They struggled on the road even when they're fully dialed in, so if they weren't fully dialed in, I thought run defense was going to be victimized by the team that is most susceptible or most likely to do it, and that being Ole Miss. They didn't really get shredded on the ground, nearly to the degree that Ole Miss has done it to some other teams. And Ole Miss being 0 for 3 on fourth down was a huge contributor to Bama winning this thing. I keep emphasizing the willingness to fight from both teams, but especially Bama, because Bama started the game knowing we're not going to any kind of championship game. But they, they fought. Uh, that started off flat, but second half, man, they, you know, they, they were dealing haymakers. They were taking haymakers. There were a number of games across the country like that yesterday. 
I keep emphasizing the willingness to fight. This is not the best Bama team we've seen as of late. They fought yesterday. Nick Saban was so excited and jubilant on the sideline because you can do all you can as a coach. You really don't know what level of play you're going to get from your guys until you see it. And they fought, man. Bryce Young's far less than 100%. Jace McClellan played his tail off. Byron Young, friend of the program, had a really good day yesterday. They just fought. And the reason I keep emphasizing that is because it's not a given. I don't know how much you've been paying attention lately, but you look around the country, there are some healthy players that aren't in football games. You notice that? There's only two possible reasons there. Either they're out because of discipline or they're out because they don't feel like playing. And I would suggest to you that a lot more of the latter is happening. It's not reported. It's not fun to talk about. Most of the time it's kept quiet. But these dudes on Alabama's team, you would think, have the most incentive to adopt that mentality. And the reason Nick Saban is so excited to just see guys fight is because it's not happening everywhere. There are some guys quitting on their teams. That's what's happening around college football. Some dudes are white flagging it early to preserve themselves however they see fit. It's their right to probably enter the portal, or some guys do it because of draft stock and whatnot, but it's nice, it's refreshing to at least see guys still willing to go to the mat. Coaching changes are going to come here, okay? I know Nick Saban's been publicly critical of himself and not willing to be critical of his coordinators. That's because they are going to be moved on from. At least one of them, I think both. I am very, very confident Bill O'Brien will not be there next year. Uh, very confident O'Brien's name is in a number of these head coaching searches, by the way. Candidly, as far as Ole Miss goes, I didn't expect them to be in this conversation. I mean, I, I will admit freely, I took the under at seven and a half for them in the preseason when it comes to win total. So they've already achieved as far as I'm concerned. And so uh, we don't do the apology thing very often here, but I'm sorry. Yes. And I add the cherry on top when I pick them to lose every game. It's become a tradition around here. I don't have anything against Ole Miss. I had a great time when I went over there a few uh, weeks ago. But I think that it's, it's something that needs to be acknowledged, man. Kiffin, even though they're a two-loss team now, what, what? okay, they're a two-loss team. Uh, so is Alabama, for that matter. Ole Miss has been really good this year. And I'm telling you, there are a lot of folks behind the scenes and coaching circles in the administrative world who were circling Ole Miss. I mean, the reason I took the under on them is because I had enough coaches get in my ear and tell me with those assistants they lost and that quarterback they lost, Kiffin will not be able to duplicate what he did. Now, they may start fast because they got Troy, Central Arkansas, Georgia Tech. Like they, They've got a soft open to their schedule, but they will hit a brick wall eventually, and there will be no escaping the back half of that schedule. And instead, they beat Kentucky, and they beat Auburn, and they beat Texas A&M. So they got two losses there. They've already hit their over. It doesn't matter if they lose the other two. I... No, it is uneasy or an uneasy feeling for an Ole Miss fan when you hear your head coach mentioned in rumors of other jobs. It just is what it is. There's nothing you can do about it. I thought you guys presented as good a spectacle, as good a home atmosphere yesterday in Oxford as I've seen in a number of years. I mean, the place was on fire. Any recruits that were in town had to be impressed with that. So I want you guys to earmuff yourself for a second because this is not pleasant talk for you. Three, two, one. Okay, so 
absent the Ole Miss fans in the room. Look, the fact of the matter is Lane Kiffin is going to be in the conversation for some of these jobs, the Auburn job chief among them. Something happened after this game yesterday. Now, in reality, it doesn't change him one iota as a head coach. Lane Kiffin woke up yesterday the exact same caliber of head coach as he went to sleep as last night. But the more I've been around the hiring process, the more I have realized some of the dumbest things in the world, well, not dumb, some of the most inconsequential things in the world in the grand scheme of things actually carry weight in the hiring process. And so I'm going to play some sound here from Lane Kiffin last night, and I want you to juxtapose it to what the perception of Lane Kiffin has been. The perception has been, oh, he's fun, he's easygoing, he's always good for a soundbite, kind of goofy at times, really active on Twitter, and that's all well and good. We're in the entertainment industry, but think about how many administrators out there, how many ADs out there prefer a guy that has more an edge to him, you know? Prefers a guy that can get a little salty in a post-game press conference. You are who you are as a coach, but I'm telling you this stuff matters. With that in mind, this is Lane Kiffin after the game. Pete Judkins still rushed for 135 yards against one of the better rush defenses in the country. I mean, you know, just kind of assess just what you saw through him just throughout 60 minutes. Yeah, I don't you guys, you know, this is, let me just explain it really well. I don't really give a shit about how many yards we had how close the game was. We didn't win the game. And two years ago, we walked off this field, and I said, we didn't, hear to, we didn't come here to cover spreads. We didn't come here to play what at the time was the number one team in the country close. So all these things about, well, you did this good, and, you, and freshman running back, rushed, it doesn't matter. We didn't win the game. So, you know, maybe some other places that's good, or it's been here good in the past. It ain't good enough. We came here to win, to beat Alabama. We didn't do it. So we're 0-1 um, today. Now, you can believe me or not believe me. I don't care because I know this is right. That stuff matters to people who are actually going to be influential in the hiring process at various places. I'm not speaking about any one place individually. How it happens is like this. One influential person hears that soundbite. They text it in a group text to five more of their buddies who are also influential. And they all have the latest iPhone because they're all bajillionaires. And they don't really know X's and O's, okay? They probably played 35 years ago and they ran the beer in high school. They have no clue what they're really talking about when they're watching today's game. So absent being able to chalk talk their way through a conversation with Lane Kiffin and an administrator, that stuff is what they gravitate to. They text their AD, they text their chancellor, they text their president, they say, hey, this is what we need in our program. What is it? It's a guy saying words in a microphone. That's what it is. That's the kind of stuff I'm telling you, whether you believe it or not, that carries as much weight in the hiring process as anything football related. And it is a running joke in coaching circles. Some of the best stories you could ever get from head coaches or assistant coaches especially, who will be honest with you, is what actually got them hired. These guys know it. They, they understand the game they're playing. A lot of these guys know they could walk in a room full of people who are tasked with making a hire and they could either explain their offense and explain their philosophy, or they could give a few funny anecdotes, and they could drop a few four-letter words because for some reason grown men start giggling amongst each other when they hear another grown man cuss. And Lane Kiffin did it yesterday, so he checked all the boxes. That gets people hired. Flat out, it gets people hired. So just keep that in mind. That little edge Lane Kiffin showed you. He's always had it. He just doesn't show it publicly a lot. Just keep that in mind. Let's move on here. We got so many other games to talk about. That's why I'm trying to talk a little more auctioneery tonight, a little faster. 
because we've got, oh man, I don't know how many more games. Don't worry. If I haven't gotten to you yet, we're going to get to you. <laughs> especially, especially if you live in and around the neighborhood here. How about this? Colin, I don't know if you checked the calendar yesterday. I know our friends in Lexington didn't. Vandy beat Kentucky 24 to 21. And uh, certainly the doors were not favored. They were 17 and a half point dogs, something like that. Kentucky, though, committed the cardinal sin of not checking the calendar when they woke up yesterday morning. Because had Kentucky checked the calendar, they would have seen that, no, it is not October. It is Dorvember. And Dorvember took a bite out of Mark Stoops in the catch yesterday. 24 to 21. There's nothing flukish about it. Vandy's been close now. Vandy's been playing much better ball. They just haven't gotten wins to show for it. They were 11 of 17 on third down yesterday. They outgained Kentucky by nearly 130 yards. And they just, they beat them. I don't know what else to tell you. Will Levis looked horrible. Uh, Vandy has a lot to do with that. And so just steadily and steadily, they, all, they put, almost put up 450 total yards yesterday. Vanderbilt's out of the spotlight because of the nature of the conference they play in. They're playing much better ball. They now surpass Texas A&M. A&M's got the worst record in the SEC right now. Not Nashville's football team. So I don't even know what the Titans did today. Who cares? Nashville still has Vandy hangover. They still got door hangover. It's not Titan Vember. It is door Vember. And we've already filed for the trademarks, so don't even bother, Barton. Next up, North Carolina 36, Wake 34. You want to talk about playing one possession games. I remember Auburn back in their Cam Newton 2010 season. I want to say they were 7-0 in one possession games. It was some absurd stat. North Carolina is now 6-0 this year in one possession games. They clinched an ACC title appearance with this win yesterday. They had 31st downs. I just realized that when I looked at the screen. Drake May. Big talking point right now. Why is Drake May not mentioned in the Heisman conversation more? Well, he is. In the rare occasion where I talk Heisman on this show, he is. In fact, he may be at the forefront for me. I'm going to give you a hard truth in just a second, though. But first off, 519 total yards for Drake May. He was responsible, or has been this year, for 38 touchdowns. That's number two in FBS behind Bo Nix. So May has 519 total yards yesterday, just going off. 38 total touchdowns accounted for this year. You want to know why he's not getting more Heisman love? It's because too many people who vote for the Heisman aren't watching him play. That's the dirty secret. They won't admit it to you because they will say, oh, I've seen Drake May play. And if you really got him in a lie detector chair, you'd find out what they mean by that is they've seen North Carolina highlights on SportsCenter. A large swath of Heisman voters have not watched a North Carolina game this year. I promise you they haven't. Number one, because they're at their own games every week usually. And number two, and this is another hard truth you have to face, a lot of folks who have Heisman votes don't love college football. Now, as you collectively gasp, I'm going to give you a second to compose yourselves. And I hate to peel back the curtain, but no, friends, no. One of the most prestigious awards in sports, an award I have immense amounts of respect for, it may be the voting process I don't respect all that much, is voted on by a lot of folks who really could care less. Either way, couldn't care less, actually. Either way, about anything other than the two or three marquee games on a Saturday. That's your Heisman process. And if Drake May doesn't finish as a finalist, then that will be why. They don't know who he is. They know his name. Uh, they know that who he plays for, and they see some highlights. That's about it. 
Georgia pasted Mississippi State 45 to 19. Georgia's headed to the SEC championship game. That is the fifth time in the last six years. It's been a full calendar year since they allowed a touchdown in the first quarter. I'm told that's really good. Full disclosure, I did not verify that stat. That was delivered by one of you. And so if we get sued, I don't know how that would actually happen, but if we get in trouble, I'm taking the credit. I will not take the blame, though. That'll be on you, and I will direct the authorities to the proper Twitter DM. They're just fine-tuning right now. They're not going to lose. They're just fine-tuning. And Kirby Smart's got another team that's fully bought in. They're going to be favored to win, I think, any game that they play. This is not a flawless team. It's not an invincible team. I think it's the best team in the country right now. Um, Like, I watch them offensively, and I see Stetson Bennett still making a few decisions per game that if he were to face equal competition, may cost them. But here's the good news. They don't face equal competition, and may very well not until the playoff. So they will play LSU in the SEC title game. We know that. Would you like to know what the point spread on that will be? Well, I'm not going to tell you what the spread would be. I'll tell you what we would make it here at Pate State Sportsbook. I'll give you a chance to guess. Georgia, neutral field. Georgia versus LSU. Georgia by about 17 is what you should expect there. Now, it may be dialed down to 15, and they let you choose between 14 and 17, but that thing's probably going to come to a rest closer to 17. And I know that seems like a big number. All I would say to you is if you think it's big, bet LSU. That's all I can tell you. Uh, Next up, Arizona and UCLA played a classic last night. My goodness. The final was Arizona, yes, the Wildcats of Jed Fish, 34, UCLA 28, and they jumped out to a 14-0 lead, did Arizona. It was an excellent game. I, I, here's what I enjoy. I enjoy forgetting what the standings are sometimes and just watching a game for what it is, kind of compartmentalizing it. And this was great if you could watch it like that. If you didn't think every two or three plays, boy, UCLA's blowing it. Boy, what is this going to do to the Pac-12 race? What is this going to do to their playoff chances? I know all that matters. And it certainly is part of the backdrop of a game. Sometimes you don't get to fully enjoy the game. Like you don't get to enjoy what, what Jaden Delora did last night because you're too busy thinking about what the other team's not doing. Well, UCLA played a very good game last night. They didn't do enough to win because the other team did more. That's the most fundamental way of describing a football game I've ever encountered, but that was reality. Remember back in the summer, speaking of Delora, we talked about that kid when we were taking the over on the win total for Arizona. And we talked about their ability to pop. Not only that, I should have clipped this actually, Colin, because I talked about how I thought late in the year they may gel enough to pull upsets. And they just did yesterday. I mean, we took them on Friday Night Lines. I hope you guys tuned in. We took them, and I didn't pick them outright, but 19 and a half, way too many points to be given Arizona in this game. And it's because they got a good quarterback out there. He was 22 of 28, 315 yards, two touchdowns, no picks. They're four and six now. Arizona has moved to four and six. Over under was like two and a half, I think. So good on Jed Fish. UCLA plays USC this week. And both of them are still in it for the Pac-12 championship. That moves UCLA to a two-loss in conference. What do you think the spread there is? It's in the Rose Bowl. What do you think the spread there is? How about USC minus three? We had arguments. Had arguments last week about who would be favored. There you go. USC favored. 
by about a field goal. Uh, one more game here that I wanted to touch on on the West Coast. Just Pac-12 came through yesterday. A phenomenal conference to watch this year. I think it's the best overall the conference has been in several years. Washington beat Oregon. <clears throat> I, I don't cough mockingly. I cough because I had to clear my throat. Washington, they just outdueled Oregon. I mean, Oregon played a wonderful game yesterday. They had 32 first downs, nearly 600 yards total offense. They ran it for 312, 6.1 yards per clip. When we broke this game down the other day, I said, I actually think Washington will cover, but I feel really good about Oregon winning outright because I think they'll play a more low margin for error style of ball, but they will run, 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 and they absolutely did. Here's the problem. It came down to one play that Oregon needed, and Bo Nix was out of the game, and they made a call. Dan Lanning made a call, and it was probably a little controversial. I know a lot of people are talking about it. They chose to be aggressive. They were in their own territory. It was fourth down. They had been ripping off chunk yardage on the ground, and the running back slips and falls, and they turn the ball over. They give Washington the ball in a tie game in plus territory, and Washington kicks the field goal. They win the game. Um, I have not listened to Landing's postgame. I doubt that he second-guessed himself. I doubt that. I understand the thinking on going for it. It's just that if you were watching the game, I was watching the game. I was already back in my hotel room down in New Orleans. I was watching, and it was interesting because the broadcast picked up Bo Nix looking like he was ready to get back in the game, and they didn't put him in the game and still went for it. And if you want to question something, that's probably what you would question, but it was just a good game, man. Like, they did everything they needed to do to win. Michael Penix just had the game of his life. You just saw one of those throws. I thought Brock Heward did a really good job on the broadcast of pointing out that safety didn't take a horrific angle on the ball. The ball was just delivered about 700 miles an hour, and the dude misread it, but he, he, he's sitting there thinking as a college football player in a college football game, no one is going to throw a ball that's going to beat me to that spot. Michael Penix did. I mean, Penix was on fire last night. He answered every time. I thought they were going to get run over in the second half. It was 13-10 to 10 at half, and it ends up being 37-34. So another classic there. Again, if you could just take those games in for what they were, it was a really, really entertaining day there on the West Coast. They're watching us in Boiling Springs, South Carolina, Cleveland, Ohio, and Lloydminster, Alberta, Canada. They're all tuned in. Oh, Colin, I'll tell you what I want to do. Let's go ahead, because I think I, I don't even know where I put it. So let's go ahead and do every given Saturday. Then I'll get to the Clemson game. So this is me stalling, so Colin has time to pull the element up. We just came back from New Orleans this morning. I don't know why I say we all the time, because I, I go to these solo. It's we anyway. So we went to New Orleans this weekend. I was down at Tulane, G5 Josh, and saw Gus Malzahn in Central Florida pull a game out. And had a lot of fun down there. I hate that we weren't able to just do a week of shows down there. I would easily relocate to New Orleans. It's always a fun city to go to, but I'm only there for football anytime I go down there. So I'm flying back this morning, and we're having a big internal debate. Where should we go this week? We've got Illinois at Michigan. That game's not quite as interesting as it had been. TCU at Baylor, even with... The loss from Baylor, even with a big win from TCU, there's a field goal spread on that game. You got USC at UCLA. We just talked about that. Big showdown in Eugene again. Utah at Oregon. And why is that fifth game there, you ask? 
Well, Floyd of Rosedale is not only the best trophy in college football, it's the best trophy in sports. And I will mute any of you who argue. And so Iowa plays Minnesota this week. And so, yes, it absolutely is in contention for the Every Given Saturday Tour. Here's what I experienced yesterday. I flew down to New Orleans on Friday, and it was 78 and sunny. And yesterday, it was so gross that I don't even want to describe it to you. I want to see two things right now. I want to see high-level football, and I want to see 78 and sunny. And there is only one place that's going to offer me that combination this weekend, and it is Pasadena, California. The Every Given Saturday Tour is headed back out to L.A., Southern Cal versus UCLA. Pac-12 Pate is back. Tell your friends. Tell your family. G5 Josh is taking a rest this week. Pac-12 Pate is back. Shame on us again. We SEC homers daring to head out west. I have not been to the Rose Bowl since 2009. So we are going to change that. And we're going to see if Chip Kelly and the boys can get off the deck. It's going to be a really interesting game. There's a lot of thoughts out there about how they match up line of scrimmage with USC. Well, we will be there in person, sideline, to see that one. And then we'll just red-eye our way right back to Nashville and be back by 7 a.m. the next morning, I'm told. All right, now that we got that out of the way, I assume it's been tweeted out too, let's dive right back in. I've still got more games to get to. I mean, we are not done yet. Thank you so much for being here. Please like and subscribe if you have not already. Clemson beat Louisville yesterday, 31-16. I had no feel. This was the game I had the least grip on of any game that was played on anyone's radar yesterday. The model, ironically, good for the model, hot day yesterday. It said, take Clemson. In fact, the model had Clemson at like a 63% cover probability. And I did not hand it out. I did not bet it myself. I just didn't believe. The model said Clemson, and I said, really, model? Because we know what it's done with Texas lately. So the model, dependable, but not always to be trusted. It was dead on the money. Clemson won this thing. They covered. It's the 14th straight win they've had off a loss. And what they did was pretty simple. They did not allow Louisville's pass rush to take over. That could wreck a game. And they had two sacks, did Louisville. But Clemson did not really allow them to take over. They had quick passes. They used DJ in the run game. Now look. He had 15 carries for 32 total yards. That is not an impressive stat line at all. But if you think about what the alternative on those 15 plays could have been, and instead you you gain a couple of yards, it was impactful. If you watched the game, you know what I mean. It was impactful. It's not a huge stat line, but it was impactful because Maffa and Shipley both had about 100 or so on the ground each. So Clemson did not allow the pass rush to engulf them. They ran the ball very well. That's all it took because Louisville was without Malik Cunningham, second half of the game. He went down late in the second quarter. And so that was it. The padlock stat, if you want one, Louisville forced three turnovers and got zero points off of them. I think Clemson forced two and got zero points. I'm not sure on that second one. I know on the first one, you forced three turnovers. You put no points on the board. You're asking for it because they are better than you athletically. So you're asking for it. Do you get the same vibe with Clemson that you do with Bama? Because both of them are perennial contenders, and both of them are out of the playoff mix. At least I think Clemson is. I know Bama is. I think Clemson is. It would take a lot for them to get back in. Do you get the same vibe? So I was having this little conversation earlier today with a buddy of mine. He said, these are the same teams. I said, well, no, they may be in roughly the same position, 
well, I don't know that they're the same team, but then, I mean, I thought about it a little bit more, and both coaches are being questioned for staffing decisions. Saban's being questioned for Bill O'Brien and, and maybe Pete Golding, maybe, you know, a lot of the assistants that nationally you wouldn't know the names of. Well, Dabo's being questioned because of the same things. Now, they're able to somewhat block out that noise, but come season's end, whichever bowl game they go to is whichever bowl game they go to, but, I mean, Everyone's going to be focused on what Jimbo does at A&M. I'll be focused just as much on what Clemson does, if anything, what Bama does, if anything, because, I mean, they're not going anywhere. It's not like all of a sudden they're going to fall from the face of the earth in terms of being a contender. They're still going to have a bullseye on their chest every year. It's just they might not be, you know, running off a string of dominant years like they have. Voila, by the way. What do you know? Something else changed about the sport without an expanded playoff. I'm mocking it only because I was told by expansionists I had to expand the playoff or else Clemson and Bama were never coming back to earth. Yeah, they were. They always were. It's cyclical. That's kind of how these things work. Next up, <laughs> this one I probably should have put earlier in the show because this one got talked about a lot. LSU beat Arkansas yesterday. That's part of the news. The other part of the news is it was 13 to 10. Uh, it was an ice rink in uh, Reynolds Razorback Stadium up there, and Arkansas kind of sort of played without K.J. Jefferson, and they got me on that. I thought Jefferson was starting. They got me. Regression to the mean. Had a lot of you texting me and DMing me that last night. I had forgotten I said it on the show last week, but I said it when you were so confused about the point spread being three, which moved to three and a half. That's when we bet Arkansas Friday night. Again, at late kick Josh, if you are not catching Friday night lines, you are losing money. We are winning every week. For some reason, the Friday night lines are hitting even better than the regular lines. We handed out Arkansas plus three and a half. We waited all week for the line to move, and it did, and we bet it, and we won. If you bet it earlier, you pushed. But anyway, when you were looking at the spread and it confused you because one of those teams had just beaten Bama and the other one had just lost to Liberty, it's progression and regression to the mean. That's all it is. This is how college football works. So a blind man who is well, how does a blind man observe? You use your other senses, I guess. So a blind man who has observed this sport for a long time could have seen this coming. I think the noobs out there were a little shocked by this. It's okay. And stop recalibrating your expectation of LSU. This is the same team that a lot of people predicted to go 7-5. and five. Don't get mad at them because they're, what's their record, Colin? 8 or 9-2 and two or something like that? Don't get mad when their 8th win of the season with three to go now, as it turns out, is only by three points. Don't do that. That is recalibration of expectation. It's not fair. What's fair is to say it's a miracle that you clinched the SEC West yesterday. How about that? Okay, let's not forget that or overlook that. In the process of barely winning or winning an ugly game, yeah, they kind of sort of punched their ticket to Atlanta, didn't they? In Brian Kelly's first year, didn't they? More on that in a second. I'm going to hit you with a stat that proves padlock stats are meaningless when it comes to LSU right now. Meaningless. LSU has had two games this year where they failed to pass for 90 yards. Two times in conference play, they have failed to top 90 yards passing. And they're 2-0 and in those games. They've lost two of them. Those aren't even the two games they failed to top 90 yards passing. You want to explain to me how that's possible? Well... It's called at Auburn and at Arkansas with a backup quarterback. 
That's kind of how it turned out to be possible. That's crazy, though. Harold Perkins changed this game. He changed the Bama game. Stars matter. Don't let anyone tell you they don't. That is an alien. Number 40 is an alien who just happens to be eligible to play college football. We followed his recruitment. You remember it. You remember it well if you watch this program. I kept emphasizing 40 there. It was LSU and then A&M. And when Brian Kelly got on the job, <laughs> he, he, he talked to a certain assistant down there and said, please, please do whatever it takes. Get 40. Get Harold Perkins. And he got him. And they probably won a minimum of two games, maybe three, because of him. So don't worry. He's only here two more years minimum. That's just a true freshman. He was in high school last year. They got me, man. Arkansas got me with K.J. Jefferson. I thought he was going to start. Now, he didn't, and they still ended up covering. I thought he was going to start, though, and he didn't. So Malik Hornsby started. I'm with, I'm with Trey Biddy over at Hogsports. He was doing his walk and talk yesterday. He looked like he was in Juneau, Alaska, by the way. So hats off or toboggans off to Biddy. And he said what I think a lot of people want to say about Hornsby. Like Malik Hornsby's all-in program guy. Malik Hornsby can run like a spooked deer. And thus far, he has insisted on playing quarterback. And some guys do that, and you say, oh, why don't they move to receiver? And it's just, they would be an average receiver. Malik Hornsby could make millions of dollars changing positions because of his unique skill set. Now, it's his decision ultimately, but man, if, if I'm not having a hard conversation with him after this year and saying, look, here is what NFL types say, here's what scouts say, here's what our coaching staff says, here's what you could be, here are examples in the pro level of what you could be, because he's not a quarterback anywhere past this level. And, and he got benched yesterday, so I don't know. But anyway, that's, that's for another show. Um, they sacked Jaden Daniels seven times. Arkansas sacked him seven times. This is what really is a gut punch for them. They played the game of the year defensively. I mean, Barry Odom and his defense have been under fire all year. They lost some guys early in the season, so they've been playing with one hand behind their back. They played the game of their year yesterday. You're holding LSU to 13. You think that's good enough 10 times out of 10, and as it turns out, it wasn't because of the hand or the, the hand that fate dealt you at your own quarterback position. But 10, oh man, there's so many numbers in front of me. I just, I know it's a gut punch. I know that I don't think any less of them as a program now than I did last year. I, I know people are waffling on them, but this is not about Arkansas right now. It's about LSU. Brian Kelly's first year, they are going to Atlanta. I think it's worth just repeating that a few times. I don't have time to do it, but I encourage you to do it. You're going to play for the SEC championship. At worst, if Georgia beat you by 100, you went to Atlanta. Alabama didn't because you beat them in your own building. In year one, Saban had what? A 16-year, 15-year head start on you. Year one. Congratulations. Uh, we move on. <clears throat> Some more games here to talk about. I've also got an early best bet for you. So let's, uh, let's finish strong here. The most disappointing result of yesterday to me was Baylor just getting run out of their own building by Kansas State, 31-3. to I mean, there was a lot on the line here. They're playing for the right to go to the conference championship game, and Kansas State just handled them. They were 8-13 of on third down. And with Will Howard again, you had Adrian Martinez out again, as it turns out, and then Will Howard comes in. 
just doing plenty enough to win. Deuce Vaughn doing plenty enough to win. They controlled the game. Obviously, when you give up a grand total of three, you controlled the game. Baylor being 0 of 3 on fourth down did not help any. I, I think a lot of people are going to be confused. I've already said it a few times. I think a lot of people are going to be confused when they look at the week-to-week in this conference right now of point spreads. TCU is minus three at Baylor. Baylor just got splattered yesterday. TCU is on fire. Hottest team in the country. They're favored by three. Three at McLean Stadium this Saturday. Is it a sucker line? Or is it easy money? Is it free money? I had a couple of you already suggest to me, free money, man. How, how does TCU not win by double digits? Oh, I don't know. Go for it, though. Go for it. Uh, UCF. I was at this game. UCF 38, Tulane 31. Gus Malzahn is living right. He's been living right ever since 2017, really. And you may say, Josh, how could he be living right? He's been fired between 2017 and now. Uh-huh. Yeah, and he could own his own island because of what happened in 2017 when they restructured his deal before the SEC championship game and he got that massive buyout. Because at that point, when you get to that level of coaching and you have some success and you get to a new contract, it doesn't matter what happens from here on out. Unless you have a Hugh Freeze-related off-field scandal, if you get terminated for ethical reasons, it's anyone's ballgame. But if you get terminated, from there on out, once you sign that deal, if you get terminated for football-related reasons, it doesn't matter if you're Ed Orgeron, it doesn't matter if you're Malzahn, you are going to be financially set for lifetimes, plural. Malzahn's set. But it just so happened, a really, really perfect position opened up for him at Central Florida, and oh, there he is, leading the way in the AAC. I mean, they, I know this looks like a one-possession game at the end, because it was, but UCF kind of controlled this game yesterday for most of the way. Padlock stat... Oh, I think 336 yards on the ground, pretty much padlocks that. John Rice Plumley was questionable during the week, and he was a warrior yesterday. I mean, I watched him get smoked a few times. He was far less than 100%. I'm down their tunnel after the game. I'm outside the locker room after the game. Uh, he, he is walking around very gingerly. He didn't play that way. This is uh, Tulane Stadium here, Yulman Stadium, as a matter of fact. That's iJosh footage coming off the field. John Rice Plumley, 132 passing. 176 rushing, and oh, by the way, I appreciate Tulane. They took care of us. It was a great time down there, but I got to credit the road, folks. Central Florida, they carry themselves like a program that's headed to the Big 12, and the fan base understands it too. They traveled deep to that game yesterday. A lot of them made the trip. I don't just think it was a big alumni chapter in New Orleans either. I think a lot of folks just flat out made the trip from Orlando. It's, it's an easy little southwest flight right there across the Gulf. Uh, they, they were loud. Uh, crowd noise was an issue for Tulane, candidly, in some portions of the second half of that game. So hats off to every part of the administration there. Uh, they, are, they are the favorite now to win the AAC, thus the favorite to lock up the G5's New Year's Six Bowl bid. So they're rolling right now. Speaking of rolling... Is there a hotter team in America than Florida State the last month? Like, we're talking TCU, LSU, Florida State, and that third component there absolutely fits in this conversation. They lost games earlier in the year. A lot of you may not be paying attention to them now because of that. You ought to be. They smoked Georgia Tech. They smoked Miami. They went into Syracuse yesterday, and this was not even a game. 
yet another contribution to the Ramen Noodle Express yesterday. Florida State could win nine games. Do you realize that? They're 7-3 and three right now. 7-3. and three. They have got Louisiana coming up this week. Then they've got Florida. They don't leave Doak again. They've got both of them at home. They're going to be favored, I think, in both of those games. I think. Let me run the numbers on the Florida game. Anyway, this was and well, obviously a complete mismatch, but they held Syracuse to under 100 yards passing, under 100 yards rushing. 25-9 to nine was the first down discrepancy in favor of FSU. 420-160 to 160 was the yardage discrepancy in favor of FSU. There was a little scene last week or the week before. Mike Norvell got into one of his players' grills, and the player wouldn't make eye contact with him and started to walk off. Think Chris Hudson at Oregon with Mario Cristobal last year. Uh, the difference was Hudson just looked Cristobal in the eye and took his chewing, and he's still in that program as a result. Well, one of FSU's kids walked away. Norvell went and caught him, got in his face again. Kid walked away again. Anyway, there eventually came a moment, about the third time's the charm, where Norvell gets his attention and sits there and chews him out. And you don't know what he's saying. You don't need to know what he's saying. You watched a kid take coaching. It's not often the cameras capture that. And you could take that, and if you just, you just multiply it infinity amounts of times, and you think about what that does in a locker room, it shows you, first off, the coach has the team. Obviously, he has the team. But secondly, it shows you growth is happening. It shows you that FSU's locker room didn't tune out after they lost a few games. And again, I want to reiterate, if you're a little more old school, if you're 60 years old watching the show, you're thinking to yourself, why does he keep crediting kids just for not quitting? Because a lot of kids are quitting. There are kids in the Atlantic Coast Conference who are healthy and not playing football right now for their teams because they've quit on their teams. Florida State, not dealing with that. They're dealing with the opposite. They're dealing with guys that are playing their best football right now. It's the hallmark of a good staff. It's the hallmark of a head coach that's got his team. So you can still doubt that they're ever going to be a, a contender for the conference title. I, I would suggest to you if that team could start the season right now, they would be a contender for the conference title. That's not the way it works, though. So we could talk like that come next year because of what we're seeing right now. But Mike Norvell's, I would argue, pretty quietly and off the radar nationally doing some good things down there. And if they can finish strong here and they win nine games, They'll be on a lot of preview magazines uh, come summer next year. The other game I wanted to talk about was Florida, South Carolina. This was ugly. This was a total and complete mismatch. I don't know what day of the week South Carolina thought this game happened on, but it, it, they, seem, they seem like someone... You ever seen that, that prison video, the little juvie kid that's asleep with his teddy bear, and the prison guard comes in and scares him awake, and the kid's startled, he doesn't even know what to do, and he just runs nervously crying out of the south. That was South Carolina taking the field. They were the scared kid in juvie with the teddy bear taking the field. They had no chance. Absolutely no shot. Florida had 220 on the ground before halftime. Just got put on skates at the line of scrimmage. Florida is now, I think, 2-0, Colin? Are they 2-0 or 3-0 since the Georgia game? Haven't lost again. They beat A&M. Uh, they beat South Carolina. There it is. Yeah, so they're 2-0 since the Georgia game. So good for them because they also did not quit. And they've had some kids kicked off the team since then. Brenton Cox, namely. And they still have not mailed it in. In fact, defensively, they dominated yesterday. 
Winter is coming for South Carolina. That's the best news I can give you. Now, well, that's news. It's not good news unless changes are made. I think we all watch that team offensively. They are what they are. Um, it's pretty imperative that they're not that next year. So it's really, quite frankly, it's a miracle they won as many games as they have. And whatever circumstances led to that is whatever circumstances led to that. Yeah, got to be some changes made there. All right, Ramen Noodle Express time. Where are we going? We've got a dependable team out there right now that we are riding, and we will continue to ride until the wheels come off. Penn State, I know I didn't talk about them, just because they blanked another team yesterday. Penn State is playing Rutgers this week. They're laying 19 and a half. I think this is going to 21 by kickoff. So we're getting on Penn State minus 19 and a half right now. I, they are playing some really good football. I mean, they lost to Ohio State and Michigan. Those are the teams they lost to. And they hadn't lost to anyone else. And they're, they're kinda, they kind of got their own little Florida State thing going right now. Got James Franklin doing push-ups on the sideline. I'm all for chess development. If you do it during a game, you do it during a game. That's fine with me. So, hey, hats off to them, too. I think that that's it. Colin, I got a blank piece of paper here, which means I guess we'll leave it to the imagination. Uh, so here, here's the deal. Here's the deal, okay? Let's be real with each other for a second. We're going to Los Angeles Saturday. I'll probably be out there Friday because I want to spend as much. I look for any excuse to go to Southern California as I can. And so by the time we get back from L.A., this time next week, we have to be over 150K. I think we will be, but we, we have to take this personal. As a people, we have to take this personally. And so, you don't need to grab your shield, you don't need to grab your sword, what you need to do is grab your phone, hit subscribe, and then grab your moms and dads and aunts and uncles and do the same thing, and we will have a happy Thanksgiving, you and I, together. Until then, for Director Colin, for Producer Jesse, and Producer Belchi, yeah, threesome in the house tonight. I'm Josh Bate. Thanks so much. Take care. Have a great start to your week and God bless. Paramount Plus and the National Park Foundation present A Mountain of Zen. Are you still listening? Good. Take a deep breath. You needed a break. This Earth Week, you can live stream seven national parks for seven days on Paramount+. Plus. So, yes, you can literally stream a stream. Paramount+, Plus, official streaming partner of the National Park Foundation. From the world of Sonic the Hedgehog, a new hero arrives. I am ready. Is there anyone stronger? No. Ha! Tougher? No. Funnier? I do not make jokes. I make warriors. Knuckles. Now streaming only on Paramount+. Plus. Yes!